Hey, what's up? The podcast is back, and so am I, your host, Preston Shuttlesworth. I've been missing for a little while, and the podcast has been dormant, but back on the mic today to give you an episode that I think will help you a lot and bless you. Hope this year is going well so far for you. We're now in the second month. We're in February. I hope the first five weeks or so of the year have gone well for you. I hope you fasted and prayed in January and got a direction and vision for the year. Uh, I believe that this year is going to be a very important year. A lot of decisions to be made, I know, in my life personally um, that I won't share for right now, but a lot of changes, I think, are going to happen this year, and uh, good changes, not bad ones. And uh, I just know from fasting, and when you fast and pray, the Lord speaks to you much clearer than uh, when you pray otherwise, because your spirit's more sensitive to hear His voice. And I believe it um, it produces a favor from the Lord where God speaks to you in ways that are not normal, I would say, uh, when you're eating and when you're just living your life normally. And so I just know that this year is going to be a great year, first of all, but also very uh, transitional, a lot of big decisions, a lot of things happening. And um, it's going to be great. And I'm excited for you. And I know this year is going to be great, as I say, for the fourth time in a row. But I really, truly believe that. And I also think it's important to always declare those kinds of things over your life. Um, you know, when I pray, I always say, Lord, I thank you that you've blessed me. I thank you that you've anointed me. I thank you that you've gifted me. I thank you that I'm able. I thank you that this year will be great. And I kind of repeat those things over and over when I pray. And I, I believe those things are powerful. Your words are powerful um, as you speak them by faith. And as you've seen the title of this episode, what I want to deal with today and when I return to the podcast, whenever I do these podcast episodes, you know, part of the reason why it's not a good thing by any means, but part of the reason why there's such a big break between episodes is I'm not one of those preachers. And I'm, again, I'm not trying to like, I'm not saying this is a good thing, but this is just how my mind works. I don't feel a need to make content just for the sake of making content. Whenever I produce something or create something, it's because the Lord has put something in my spirit that I can't contain. It's kind of like when Jeremiah said, you know, he wanted to quit preaching, but the fire in his belly was so much that he couldn't contain it and he just had to preach what was in his spirit. And that's what these podcasts are for me, um, an outlet for me to preach when I don't have opportunities on the road or I'm not traveling places, but there's a word I know that people need to hear. I jump on these podcasts, and that's what today's going to be. And as you've seen the title and the topic for the episode, I want to talk about how to have great faith in difficult circumstances. And I want to talk about the relationship, uh, if you will, between faith and between a circumstance. Uh, because a lot of people, I think, if especially if you've grown up um, around faith doctrine, you might have this idea that faith dismisses circumstance, that faith kind of just de denies reality until it gets what it's believing for, where in fact the Bible never really teaches faith uh, to operate that way. Faith, if you take notes for these podcasts, you can write this down, faith doesn't deny reality or deny circumstance, but faith deals with reality and deals with circumstance by the word and by your speaking of the word. And of course, we know the scripture that says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so your faith increases as your um, relationship with the word, as you consume the word, as you read the word, as you listen to preaching, as you listen to teaching of the word, your faith grows to the point where you can have victory over every circumstance. And then uh, inherit the promise that's already been made available for you by the blood of Jesus and his work on the cross. And so I want to show you, though, from the Bible, and I want to go to Romans 4 uh, as my opening text. I want to read to you, um, and I'm going to be using the Amplified Classic. I want to talk to you about how to have faith in difficult circumstances because I think a lot of times people and preachers uh, make people think... Um, 
it's almost like a Christian science theology. And if you don't know what that is, Christian science was basically, well, it still exists, but uh, for instance, if someone was sick with a disease, they would just tell them, you're not sick, you're not sick, you're not sick. And they would just have them repeat that over and over again. And that was like their medicine just to tell them, oh, this reality that you actually are sick, you do have a disease, you do have something wrong in your body, uh, just deny it over and over again. And then that's how you'll be made well. And I think a lot of people preach faith that way without knowing it. Um, that you just have to deny something until uh, the reality of what you're believing for takes place. Kind of that fake it until you make it philosophy, uh, which again, I don't believe the Bible teaches that at all. And I want to show you why I believe that by reading Romans 4, beginning in verse 13. And hang with me for a, a couple minutes maybe here, because I'm going to read eight scriptures. Romans chapter 4 beginning in verse 13 and reading until verse 21. Again, this is the Amplified, so this is going to have many, many words, uh, so just bear with me. But it says this in the Bible, For the promise to Abraham, so again, we're, we're, we're talking about the promise of God realized through faith, and so we get to the promise. The promise to Abraham, or his posterity, that he should inherit the world, did not come through observing the commands of the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And so how do you realize the promise of God? How do you inherit what you know the Lord has made available for you? By the righteousness or through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law, verse 2, who are to be the heirs, then faith is made futile and empty of all meaning, and the promise of God is made void, is annulled and has no power. For the law results in divine wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression of it either. You can't break the law if there is no law. Therefore, inheriting the promise is the outcome of faith and depends entirely on faith. And so we understand that, but there's a part I want you to see as we continue reading uh, in the life of Abraham and something that he did that I think we all need to do. Uh, to realize and inherit what God has promised us. In order that it might be given as an act of grace or unmerited favor, to make it stable and valid and guaranteed to all his descendants. That's you and me. We're a descendant of Abraham. We've received the same covenant that Abraham received by the promise, not by the law, for the Bible says the promise came to Abraham hundreds of years before Moses got the law. And so a lot of times people say, oh, well, people that preach that we're a child of Abraham and we have that covenant don't understand that Jesus did away with that promise and covenant. When in actuality, the Bible says that Jesus did not come to destroy the law, but he came to fulfill the law. And so Abraham received the promise that he would be the father of many nations and that the, the Lord was going to birth many nations from him and that his descendants would be as many as the stars are, that was actually a prophecy concerning not just Israel, but uh, the Gentiles as they would be branched in by the work of Christ into that same covenant. And so Christ, not only did he come to redeem us from sin and, and restore relationship back to the Father and all of those kinds of things, but he also, the Bible says in the book of Galatians, kind of on a a rabbit trail here, but it's important. In the book of Galatians uh, chapter 3, it talks about how Jesus actually opened up the way for us to receive the same covenant and promise that Abraham received in the Old Testament. And that's why Paul here in Romans is dealing with this issue. And so it's important because if something is promised to you in the Bible and your name is on it, your name is on the contract, but you have to make sure that you acquire what's already been promised. How do you do that? Well, you do that by faith, but then a circumstance or a trial or a test or something, a roadblock, something comes along. Because if something is great, which the promise of God is great and it's valuable and it's precious, then everything else will want to keep you from actually walking in and inheriting that great thing that God has for you. And so a circumstance many times is what happens because 
the devil knows that there is a great promise attached to your life and he doesn't want you to walk in it. And so he's not going to let it go free. He's going to fight you tooth and nail, do everything he can in his power to make sure you don't walk in that promise. But I want to show you in today's podcast and teach from the Bible how you can walk in it today, not tomorrow, not next week, but right now as you receive this word by faith. And so let's continue reading in Romans 4. It says, to make it stable and valid and guaranteed to all his descendants. That's you and that's me. Not only to the devotees and adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. To who? Not just those that adhere to the law, not just the religious crowd, not just the Pharisees and all those kinds of people, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. So what was the faith of Abraham? Who is thus the father of us all? As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He was appointed our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and speaks of the non-existent things that he has foretold and promised as if they already existed. So if you take notes, you can write this down. And this is not my quote. I'm actually uh, taking this, if you will, without permission, but I hope he would give me permission if I asked. Uh, my cousin Jonathan has said this. I don't know if he's taken this from another preacher, uh, but I think this is his quote where he says that faith is not calling things that are as though they're not, but faith is calling things that are not as though they were. So again, faith is not a denial of reality. Faith is speaking the reality and believing the reality of the word over the circumstance and then believing that more than the evil report and then speaking it by faith and then watching it take place in your life. That's what faith is. And that was the faith that Abraham had. So let's continue reading. How do we know that? Who gives life to the dead and speaks. Again, faith is activated by speaking. I've said that many times on these podcasts and speaks of the non-existent things that he, God, capital H, has foretold and promised. So you're not speaking things that you want to happen. You're speaking things that God has already spoken, and then you're just agreeing with God. Agree with God and be at peace. How do you receive peace and know that your life will have a good future and a good promise? By agreeing with God. That's what faith is, really. Faith is simply agreeing with God by your mouth and by your confession. That's what faith is in a very simple definition. And there's probably many definitions you could have, but that's one of the easiest ones to understand. Faith is just agreeing with God about who he said you are and what he said you can walk in and possess. That's all faith is. He has foretold and promised as if they already existed. For Abraham, human reason, for hope being gone, hoped in faith that he should become the father of many nations as he had been promised. So numberless shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered. So the Bible says he did consider his own body because the promise was you're going to be a father of many nations. But what was he like 90, 100 years old? I should probably know the exact age, but he was an old man. He was not 25. He was not 35. He was an old man when he received the promise that he would be the father of many nations. And he did not have one child when God made him that promise. And so it's, it's not a sin, I would say, to, you know, because this is how people teach faith. Oh, well, um, the doctor said I have cancer. Uh, but I'm just not, I'm going to deny reality and just think that things are going to turn out for good because I deny reality. That's not even how Abraham dealt with reality. It said his faith did not weaken when he considered the impotence or the deadness of his own body being an old man and having no children and receiving the promise that he'd be the father of many nations. The Bible says his wife, Sarah, when he overheard the promise that she laughed at how ridiculous it was in the natural that she would birth a child because she was also old. And it was so inconceivable in the natural mind 
in human reasoning to think, how can I be the mother of a child when I'm in my 80s, 90s? It makes no logical sense, but almost always the promises of God go beyond human reasoning and they don't make sense. And that's why it takes faith to believe them. If what God had established for you, what God wanted to do in your life took no faith, it wouldn't take God. The reason things take faith is because God is the or, is the um, the author of them. And so God is not interested, and this encourages me, and I hope it encourages you, but God is not interested in your life being average. God is not interested in your life being something that can be explained away by education. God is not interested in doing something in your life that can be explained away by the family you were born into or um, the, the color of your skin or your gender or the color of your eyes or anything that's natural or of the earth. God is only interested in doing something in your life that he'll get the glory for and people around you will have to look at your life and say only the Lord could have done that for them. Psalm 126, when we entered Zion, the Bible says, we were like them that dream. Then our mouths were filled with singing and our tongues filled with laughter. And it was said among the heathen, the Lord has done great things for them. You think of that, a blessing so great that first of all, it doesn't seem like reality. It's like walking into a dream in real life. And then secondly, heathen people, unsaved people, unbelievers, look at your life and say, the Lord has done great things for them. That's the promise of God. That's the kind of thing that God wants to do. God is not interested in average. God is not intending for your life to be mediocre and for you to be another nameless face and a number in a system and just uh, walk through life and just be normal and be average. That is not the promise of God concerning your life. And if it was, it would not take faith to believe it. Uh, a quote from Pastor Parson that I really love is he would always say that God will never create a life for you where he is not necessary. And I really love that quote. Because many times people think, oh, the circumstance I'm up against, the thing that's challenging me in this moment is because God is displeased with me, because God, I've lost favor with God, and so God wants to punish me. And that's just religion talking. God, not that he will send you something to make your life horrible. I'm not teaching that kind of doctrine. But what I am saying is there is no great victory without a great trial. David doesn't become David without Goliath. You understand? David needed Goliath in order to ascend to the person that God had already spoken him to be. And so many times people look at a trial or an obstacle or, a, or an enemy, something standing in their way as a sign that they've lost favor with God or God's against them, when in almost always, many times in fact, it's not that you're in sin. It's not that you've lost right standing with God. It's that the challenge in front of you is going to, first of all, make you stronger. Second of all, it's going to increase your faith. And then the victory on the other end will be so great that you won't even remember the obstacle in the first place. You know, it's kind of like that analogy the Bible gives. You know, and I'll say this. I've never been pregnant. I've never... Uh, <laughs> I'm not a woman. I've never been pregnant. Thank God that would require a lot of things that are not right. But the Bible uses that analogy of a woman, though she has great pain in childbirth, and I'll have to take that by word again because I'm not a woman. But the Bible says that though a woman, she has great pain in, in giving birth to her child, the joy of holding her baby in her arms after the delivery the joy of holding her child is so great that she doesn't even really think about the pain of the birth. And maybe she will a couple days later or something like that. But I'm saying the Bible says in the moment where she holds her promise in her arms and she's looking into the eyes of her child, the joy and the overwhelming happiness of holding the baby in her arms far outweighs the trial of the delivery process. And that's how the promise of God works. So don't be discouraged if there's something in your life that's causing you to, you know, bump up against a wall for a little bit. Not that you're going to stay there because that's not 
what I'm teaching and I'm not teaching that God will send you a trial to make you strong and you know that God's going to uh, make you sick to give you faith to heal others or something like that, that kind of crazy doctrine. But what I'm Defeat it. I might be botching that and I'm sorry, but that's the general idea that it's not wrong for you to go through a test or have some problem in your life, but it is unscriptural and it is not the will of God for you to be defeated by it. The will of God is for you to increase every single day until the day that Jesus returns. Proverbs 4.18, the path of the righteous is like the breaking of dawn. They shine brighter and brighter until the full light of day. And so the intention of God is not to take you backwards to go forward. It's to always go forward. But to have this um, idea of life that because I'm a faith person, I'll, I'll encounter no obstacles, that nothing will ever try to oppose my purpose and my destiny, that's not biblical teaching. The teaching is, though a trial or a problem or a circumstance may arise, as my faith becomes stronger, as I uh, consume the word of God and, and speak it and confess it, then I rise up greater than the obstacle and overcome it and walk in my divine purpose and destiny, and then nothing can stop me. But because nothing can stop you doesn't mean something won't try to stop you. <laughs> things will try to stop you. That promise that Abraham received, there was a natural mountain that was blocking him from receiving the, the uh, promise from God that he would be the father of many nations. The mountain being, he's an old man and his body is as good as dead when it comes to birthing children, especially his wife. You know, obviously in the natural, he was able to have a child with his servant, Hagar, because his mind couldn't comprehend how he could be the father of many nations, considering how old Sarah was and all these kinds of things. And so he tried to make manufacture the promise of God in the natural realm. And we saw uh, the outcome of that, Ishmael, and we're still dealing with that problem today. And so you don't do it by your flesh. You don't do it by your human reasoning, how you can figure it out. Because many times, uh, that's how human minds work. Okay, God wants me to do this. I know that. I know the word of God on my life is to do A, B, and C. But I don't have all the things I need or that are necessary for me to do them. So I am going to manufacture and do my best to do it in my flesh to bring to pass what God wants done. And that never works. Because faith works by the Spirit. Faith works by the supernatural. And so let's finish this passage here in Romans 4, where it says, He did not, Abraham, he did not weaken in faith when he considered the utter impotence of his own body, which was as good as dead, because he was about a hundred years old. There we go. We got his age. About a hundred. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief or distrust made him waver or question concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong. How did he grow strong? As he was empowered by faith, as he gave praise and glory to God, fully satisfied and assured that God was able and mighty to keep his word and to do what he had promised. That's one of the most powerful texts in the Bible. I love that portion of scripture there in Romans 4. He was fully satisfied and assured that God was able, hallelujah, God is able and mighty to keep his word and to do what he had promised. You know, it's a joy and it's wonderful to know the character of the promise giver. It's wonderful to know that God is not a man that he should lie, 
nor the Son of Man that he should change his mind concerning you. It's wonderful to know that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, for whom there is no variation nor shadow due to change. That God, Jesus Christ, the Bible says, Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. It's wonderful to know that God keeps his word. God keeps his promises. God is not a liar. God, hallelujah, is able to perform his promise. I want you to write that down if you take notes for these podcasts. My God is able to perform his promise. My God is able to perform his promise. When you pray, that should be a prayer point when you pray, that whatever it is you're believing for, God, your God and my God, he is able to perform his promise. God is not just a promiser. God is a performer. Hallelujah. God is not an empty promiser, but God is. Uh, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God is a performer. In the mighty name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, right now as I pray for your people. I thank you, God, that every single promise, you shall perform it in their lives in this year. I thank you right now they receive it. I thank you they're not waiting for faith is now. So, Father, I thank you that they receive that word today, that you're able and mighty to perform your word and your promise that you've given them in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I want to show you another powerful scripture that the Lord has been ministering to me through in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. And again, this is the amplified classic version. Usually I do ESV, but I really like these scriptures in the amplified, how they bring them out. And again, it's a little wordy, but I like them. I usually don't use amplified to preach because it's difficult uh, it kind of reads choppy in a service, but it's a great, great uh, study translation, and to do these kinds of teachings on the podcast, I really like it. Uh, and it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 20, for as, many are, for as many as are the promises, so again, we're dealing with the promise, and how to overcome circumstance by your faith. For as many as are the promises of God, they all find their yes. This has really been ministering to me. I think it's powerful. Hallelujah. For as many as are the promises of God, they all find their yes, their answer in Him, Christ. For this reason, we, you and me, we also utter or speak the amen the so be it, to God through him in his person and by his agency. Hallelujah. To the glory of God. I'm going to ask you a question. How do you see your promise fulfilled? How do you see your promise fulfilled? The answer, you understand by faith that God has already said yes concerning every promise. How do we know that? Because we just read it. The Bible says again, for as many, as many as are the promises of God, they all, capital A-L-L, they all find their yes in Him, Christ, or the Word. For the Bible says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, Christ. And so Christ is the Word. And so when it says the promises of God, they find their yes in the word or in Christ. Hallelujah. So understand by faith that God has said yes. I want you to write that down if, again for notes. God has said yes concerning all of his great promises. God has already said yes concerning all his great promises. But now, the ball's in our court. Because if God has said yes, the verse doesn't end there, does it? What does it say? It says, for this reason, for what reason? For the reason that the promises of God find their yes in Christ or the word. For that reason, we, you and I, must speak or utter our amen or the so be it to God through him. And so, write this down again, giving a lot of things to, for notes, but I think these are great notes to have. 
When God says yes, I say amen. When God says yes, I say amen. And I have good news for you today on the episode. God has said yes to your healing. God has said yes to your blessing financially. God has said yes to salvation for your family. God has said yes for revival in your high school. God has said yes to many great and precious promises. How do we know that? We find God's will in his word. And it says that God is not willing, does it? God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Isaiah 53, 5, by his stripes, we are healed. By his stripes, it doesn't say one day we are in the process of being healed. By his stripes, we will be healed. By his stripes, Jesus Christ, a prophecy concerning him going to the whipping post for us. We are healed, present tense. So we know that God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. He's willing that all should be saved. Jesus uh, went to the whipping post, received lashes on his back. And then also it says, when you remember when the leprous, came, came to, leprous man came to him and asked him, Lord, if you are willing, you can heal me of my leprosy. It says Jesus became indignant and said, How, what do you mean if I will? I will be thou cleansed. And so we know that it's God's will to heal. And then it says in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, or maybe it's 8, 9, but in the book of 2 Corinthians, it says that Christ, though he was rich, yet he became poor, that through his poverty, you and I might become rich. Hallelujah. It says in Proverbs 10, 22, the blessing of the Lord maketh rich and he adds no sorrow unto it. So we know God wants his people blessed. We know God wants his people healed. We know God wants his people to not only be saved, but to witness to the world and see the world come to Christ. And so you don't have to pray about any of those things. You understand? People waste their time in prayer, praying about things that God's already given a yes to. I don't have to pray about whether or not the Lord wants um, an unsaved family member to be saved. And I don't have many in my family, but I'm just giving an example. I don't have to pray about whether or not... Um, my friend who has cancer, if the Lord wants to heal him. I don't have to pray about those things. But so many Christians waste their time praying, Lord, if you will. Why are you praying, Lord, if you will? If you read the Bible and understood the nature of who God is, you'd understand that he wills. If you take notes, write this down. God is not just able, God is willing. God is not just able, God is willing. God doesn't just possess power. He performs his power. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God does not just possess power. God performs his power. And he desires to perform his power. Let me tell you something. If I was, I'll give you like a sport analogy. If I was Barry Bonds, who just recently got barred from the Hall of Fame for unspeakable reasons we, we don't understand. But if I had the power that Barry Bonds had in his prime when he was in the MLB, the baseball professional league. If I had the power of a Barry Bonds when I was uh, in baseball, I would desire to perform my power. <laughs> what does that mean? I would desire to hit 100 home runs a season. Because what use is power if it's not exercised? What use is God being a healer and a savior and a deliverer and a blesser if he never is able to perform his power because no one on the earth has the faith to transact the power that he wants to perform? That's why the Bible says, I'm drinking coffee, sorry. That's why the Bible says in the Old Testament that the eyes of the Lord seek to and fro, looking for someone whose heart is fixed on him that he might show himself strong. Hallelujah. That he might show himself strong on their behalf. God wants to perform. And if I was Barry Bonds or Alex Rodriguez or Mark McGuire, you know, great home run hitters in the MLB history, guess what? If I have the power, I want to perform the power. I don't want to sit in the dugout and watch people hit singles and get out. I want to get on the plate and I want to crank homers. And maybe that's a strange example, but what I'm trying to say is power 
wants to perform itself. God wants to perform, but he's looking for people who have the faith to provoke him to action, provoke him to perform his power. There's a lot of P words um, there, and I'm not trying to be like the preacher, like the perfection of the performance of his power was perpetually preposterous. You know, I'm not trying to do that, but it just happened right there. But God desires to perform his power. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So how do I see the promise fulfilled? Understand by faith that God has already said yes concerning his promise. God wants to perform his promise. And now you and I have to say amen or so be it. And amen, again, well not again, but in the Amplified it brings it out because it says the so be it. And that's what amen means. It means so be it unto me. And so it's funny because when I preach places, I'll say something like, sickness and disease is of the devil. And then everyone in the crowd goes, amen. Well, that doesn't make any sense because to say amen doesn't just mean I agree with the statement that you're speaking, preacher. No, amen means so be it unto me. It's you're receiving that word and you're saying, let that word be unto me as you speak it. And so it's funny because you'll say things like, you know, I don't know. Again, sickness and disease is of the devil. So you're saying, so be it unto me, sickness and disease? That doesn't make any sense. And Christians just kind of say things because they've heard other people say them in church and they don't even know what they mean. But amen, you should only say to a word that you want to receive. And so Jesus is my healer and he'll heal your body. That's when you give a mighty amen in the church because you're receiving the word that he's a healer. Um, and it's funny just because Christians don't understand what amen means. But I love that scripture in 2 Corinthians 1.20 because it, it really expresses the two parts of faith and really brings out the two parts of faith. And most people are, are just really good at the first part of faith. And the first part of faith is believing that God can do it. And even religious people that aren't faith people believe God can do it. They believe God's all powerful. They believe he's omnipotent. They believe that he has the ability to do something and that, you know, if you got the luck of the draw or you, you, uh, you spun the slot machine and it came up all sevens, then God will do what he wants to do because he's able to do it. And so most Christians, most people are really, really good at understanding the first part of faith. And the first part of faith, again, is that God is able. But the second part of faith is on your end to receive it by your speaking and by agreeing with God. Again, going back to what I said earlier, agree with God. Is that in Job? The Bible says, agree with God and be at peace and all will be well with you. I think that's in the book of Job. If it's not, I'm sorry. But I know the Bible does say that. It says, agree with God and be at peace and all shall go well for you or with you. Only believe. Only believe. All things are possible. Only believe. Used to sing that song in church. Only believe. Only believe. All things are possible. Only believe. Hallelujah. Only believe. Hallelujah. R.W. Shambach, a great preacher, used to say, You don't have any trouble. All you need is faith in God. Hallelujah. You don't have any trouble. The circumstance, the problem, the trial, the test. Hallelujah. You don't have any trouble. All you need is faith in God. Hallelujah. Like Abraham, you're not considering the natural world. You're not talking it over with unspiritual people about your promise, you believe God and you agree with God and you say, Lord, I believe your word. I believe what you've spoken over every negative thing, over every evil report. I believe the report that you say I am strong, that I am able to possess and take the land like you spoke to Joshua. And Father, I thank you that I'll see the promise performed in my life now in Jesus' name. And this year shall go well for you. I I promise you. If you get your faith to that level, this year will be the best year that you've ever had. I want to ask you a question. 
What have you agreed to in life without knowing it? What negative thing have you accepted as normal in your life? What have you waved the white flag of defeat over in your life? What have you conceded without knowing it? You know, there's some people, they were on fire. They were faithful people. They were full of faith. But as soon as a problem came up, as soon as something negative happened, I don't know, it could have been a disease. It could have been a family member died tragically that served the Lord. It could have been some sort of problem that I don't know, some issue, something. And because of that tragedy or that problem, they conceded that their life would be that for the rest of their life, that they couldn't change it, that they have no authority, that the dominion they can walk in is not theirs, but life just kind of comes and goes and it's a roller coaster and we can't predict it. We have no ability to change the outcome of our destiny. And many, many Christians believe that. There's whole doctrines built on that thought. But the Bible says the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given unto mankind. It also says, Jesus said this, he said, behold, I give you the keys of the kingdom that whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you loose on the earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so life is in not your hands, but you agreeing with God changes everything. Agree with God. Don't agree with a false report. The Bible actually goes as far as to say, in the story of the two spies and the two reports, we all know it, it actually says it was an evil report of unbelief. Unbelief is evil. You can write that down in your notes. Unbelief is evil. Unbelief is not just wrong. Unbelief is sin. I believe it says in the book of Romans, and again, I'm like paraphrasing, quoting half scriptures, but I believe it says anything done outside of faith is sin. Let me look up that scripture. Bear with me. Anything done outside of faith is sin. Let me just make sure I'm not giving you fake scriptures. Romans 14, 23. Let me look that up real fast. It's always good to actually prepare for a podcast, but sorry. Romans 14, 23. Let's read that. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. That's Romans 14, 23 in the ESV. I feel like that translation is terrible. Let me see if I can find it in the Amplified. Romans 14, 23 in the Amplified Classic. Let's see what that says. It's not terrible, by the way. It, it did say what I thought it was going to say. Let's see. But he who is uncertain about eating a particular thing is condemned if he eats because he is not acting from faith. Whatever is not from faith is sin. Whatever is done with doubt is sinful. I like that. Whatever is done in doubt is sinful. And so don't do it. (laughs) Knock it off. Don't do it. But in all seriousness, what have you agreed to in life that is not normal or it should be accepted in the Christian's life. What are you, are you just going through the motions as a believer? Or do you actually agree with God concerning your life? And I want to connect and kind of close out this episode by showing you something in the life of Joseph that I was reading and I thought was very, very powerful and concerning faith and how faith operates. Because we know the promise and the dream that God gave Joseph when he was a teenager, probably 17. And the dream, obviously he was unwise to tell his brothers about it because of what happened. He was sold, he was human trafficked by his brothers, which is never good. You know, I can say some things about my siblings, but I can at least say they never human trafficked me. I think that's wrong. But Joseph, because he told his dream to people he shouldn't have, Got human trafficked, one of those days. But in Genesis 39, 
I want to show you something, a principle from the life of Joseph that I've found and I think is powerful and I've received it in my own life because I believe the word of God. But in Genesis 39, and again, we're reading the old Word of Faith Preachers translation, the Amplified Classic. Genesis 39 and verse 1, it says, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain and chief executioner of the royal guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. But look, look at this. But the Lord, so think of this circumstance. You know, we're talking about circumstance and trials and tests and how faith, you can have great faith in them and then overcome them and receive victory. Think of this circumstance. I, I would be, uh, I would put out a challenge there right now to say that most people listening to this episode right now never went through a circumstance and a test and trial like Joseph had to go through. Listen to this. He was a slave. He's in chains. But listen to verse 2 of Genesis 39. But the Lord was with Joseph, and he, though he was a slave, was a successful and prosperous man. <laughs> what? Does that make sense, anybody? I mean, when I read that, I like stopped for a moment. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was, though he was a slave, though he's in chains, though he's being human trafficked, though his whole life, it appears, has been destroyed by his brothers who were jealous of his dream, though it seemed like everything was going wrong, that his life was over, though he was a slave, he was a successful and prosperous man because the Lord was with him. <laughs> I love that. That's powerful. Hallelujah. The Lord was with Joseph, and even though he was a slave, he was a successful and prosperous man. How do you have great faith in the midst of a difficult circumstance? You agree with God. You agree with who he said you are. He, you agree with what he said you can possess, your promise. You know why Joseph was successful and prosperous? Because he believed in the dream that God gave him. Even though it got him where he was presently, in chains, it, he never wavered from it. Like Abraham didn't waver from his promise. He believed in the promise of God. Even though it seemed like it destroyed his life, even though it seemed like people pushed away from him and left his life because he told him his dream, he was still prosperous and successful, though he was in chains, because the Lord was with him and because he believed in the dream that God gave him. Hallelujah. He believed in it. Hallelujah. I pray you believe in your dream. I, I pray that you believe that the promise belongs to you. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. <laughs> Hallelujah. And the Lord made all that he did to flourish and succeed in his hand. <laughs> Hallelujah. His master, an Egyptian, not a Christian, not a preacher, not his best friend. His master that was an Egyptian saw that the Lord was with him. <laughs> It was said among the heathen, the Lord has done great things for him. <laughs> and the Lord made all that he did flourish and succeed in his hand. So Joseph pleased Potiphar and found favor in his sight. I pray that the blessing of the Lord upon your life would cause people to give to you and prosper you. And you would find favor in the sight of others because the Lord's hand is on your life for no other reason than that. You know, I didn't, I didn't preach one time in January, just being honest. I didn't, I didn't go anywhere, didn't do anything, but I don't know how, I don't know why, but the ministry took in the most money that it ever has ever in any month just from online, the website, people given randomly. I don't understand why. When it was happening, 
I was like, Lord, I, f I don't feel good about that because I haven't even released anything. People watching or listening to, to uh, old episodes, given, people from places I've never been, given, and I didn't understand it. I, but I want my life to be like that. Not that it's good to not, you know, produce and do things. What I'm saying is, when the Lord's hand is on your life, He'll cause favor to be on you, and it won't be even be explainable. It, will, it won't make sense in the natural world. So Joseph pleased Potiphar and found favor in his sight, and he served him. And his master made him promotion, made him supervisor over his house. Promotion in this year in Jesus' name because of the blessing of the Lord upon your life. Because you agree with God. You believe in your dream. There goes a jet. hope you can't hear that. The sound of freedom. Made him supervisor over his house. And he put all that he had in his charge. From that time that he made him supervisor in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The Lord blessed the heathen for Joseph's sake because he was there. Praise God. The Lord blessed an Egyptian house because Joseph was in the house. Hallelujah. I love that. I love these verses here. And the Lord's blessing was on all that he had in the house and in the field. So I want to ask you a question. Joseph was a slave. How could he be blessed in that moment? He's being led by chains in the desert. How could he be blessed in that moment? His family betrayed him. In a sense, murdered him. Worse than murder because they sold him to human traffickers. How, could, how is he blessed there? The answer, he believed in the dream God gave him over his present circumstance, which was difficult. If you take notes, write this down. I believe in the dream God gave me. I believe in the dream God gave me over my present circumstance. How do you have great faith in the midst of a difficult circumstance? You believe and agree with God. I'm, I've taken an hour almost just to explain that thought. I agree with God and I'm at peace and all shall go well for me and for you in the mighty name of Jesus. That's how faith is perfected. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I, these verses intrigued me so much that I found these in Psalm 105. I, I was trying to study these scriptures because they were ministering to me. But look at this in Psalm 105, one of my favorite Psalms. Look what it says about Joseph. Psalm 105, 17 to 19 in the Amplified. It says, he sent a man, he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a servant. His feet, they hurt with fetters. He was laid in chains of iron, and his soul entered into the iron. But look at verse 19. Until his word, hallelujah, until his word came true, until the word of the Lord tried and tested him. Hmm. It's not unscriptural to be tested and tried. But the test ends at the manifestation of the word that God gives you. He believed in the dream. What was his dream? You remember, it says that he was in a field and he was a stock of grain and the 12 other, or I guess it would be 11, other grains of stocks of grain bowed down and worshipped him. That was the dream that made his brothers so angry they sold him to human traffickers. But he believed in it. 
He believed in the word. He believed in his dream. He believed that what God gave him was his and it would come to pass despite present circumstance. It's not unscriptural to be tested and tried. You can write this down. It's not unscriptural to be tested or tried. But my test ends at the manifestation of the word that God gives me. Faith doesn't quit until it sees its promise fulfilled. Faith holds fast to what is good. It doesn't lose heart in times of trial. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 6 and 7, it says, In this you greatly rejoice, that even though now for a little while, not for a, a long time, for a little while, if necessary, so again, it's not always necessary, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So why? Why, why would the Lord, why would it be necessary to be distressed by various trials and tests? So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, the word. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If necessary, you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith, the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of the word. Hallelujah. That's 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. Great tests indicate the possibility of great reward. But the tests only last to the point where the revelation and manifestation of the word comes to pass. Only believe. The revelation of a word is found in the result of a word. You might not fully understand it until the end. Many times that's how God works. When God led Moses up the mountain, he led him step by step, the Bible says. Only allowed him to see his next step. Didn't give him the full vision of how to get up the mountain, where he was supposed to go. But the Bible says he revealed it step by step. That's how faith works. If you knew everything ahead of time, it wouldn't take faith to believe it, would it? No. God works step by step. Many times he'll tell you the end, but not tell you how to get there. But the revelation of the word God gives you is found in the result of that word. Hallelujah. Only believe. Only believe. All things are possible. Only believe. Only believe. Only believe. All things are possible. Only believe. Hallelujah. Only believe. And this year is going to be the best year you've ever had. Open doors, promotion, increase, family salvation, financial blessing, deliverance for your loved ones. Hallelujah. Open doors to preach. I believe it for your life. It's going to be a great year. It's going to be the best year you've ever had. Let's pray together right now. Father, I thank you for those that took time to listen to your word today. I pray, Father, that you'd bless them this year. Allow them to understand that you're taking them to a new level by their faith. I thank you, Father, for the great reward that is possessed by great faith. I thank you that everything they're believing for shall come to pass because they believe in their dream despite present circumstance. Father, bless them in all that they do. Allow this week to be blessed. I thank you, Father, that this month of February shall go well for them and their house. I thank you that everything they do 
you'll bless it and cause it to increase and prosper. I thank you for all of these things, and I pray in the name of your son, Jesus, and I thank you for it, that it's done ahead of time. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I hope this podcast blessed you today. I love you. I'll be uh, more seeable, if that's even a word that would be used there. Um, I'll be around more. I enjoyed this episode. I hope it blessed you as it blessed me. I love you very much. I'll talk to you soon. Have a great, great week in the name of Jesus. Talk to you soon.